Hey everybody, welcome to Clark Talks, the Colombian's podcast where we bring you the stories and views behind the news. I'm Damien Pizzanti. And I'm Katie Gillespie. So this week we're talking casinos and the Port of Vancouver. Yeah, it's kind of a good mix. Good mix of things. Yeah, so, I'd say so. Um, I think we always have a good mix. So the... Uh, and I still don't know. I see the the commercials like every morning at Elaine, Elaine. Mm-hmm. The new casino's opening up by the center. So yes. finally, after years and years of ongoing legal struggles and mm-hmm. uh, controversy, it is finally opening up uh, within the next couple of weeks here. So yeah, I mean, talk about a just. Talk about a dramatic timeline of events for that tribe and this project to yeah. come about. Right. I mean, how often does a community, uh, from from my perspective, it's been fascinating because how often does a community get to sit and watch a facility like that, literally just sprout out of out of seemingly nothing. And not just, know? I mean, not just the facility, but it, I mean, even the establishment of that land as a reservation. That's what I'm is, saying. Yeah. It just so. went from a field to a reservation to now this big casino. Right. Right. So. So we're going to sit down with Troy Brindelson, our business reporter, and he's going to give us a give us kind of an overview of what's been going on up there and what's next for the uh, for the region with that casino coming online here soon. Mm-hmm. It's also worth mentioning that uh, the day after this podcast comes out on Friday, for those of you who don't listen to this right when it hits the uh, the internet on Thursday. Um, Adam Lippman and Jake Thomas, two of our colleagues, are going to have a story out that's going to discuss what the local law enforcement agencies are doing and how they are adjusting themselves to deal with this new casino and from both a like public health and public safety standpoint. This is something that should have been figured out a while ago, but the cops are working on it now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, definitely read that story because if this is a subject you're interested in, uh, you are going to be interested in that, I promise. So, and then Damien and I are going to talk a little bit about the port candidates who have announced that they are running for retiring port commissioner Brian Wolf's seat. So mm-hmm. that's Port District 2? One. One? Okay. So yeah. that's sort of toward East Vancouver, right? Yeah. It's kind of a funky spread, but I think of it as like the riverfront central to central to east vancouver district gotcha okay yeah cool it's a weird map anyway (laughs) uh yeah so and then as per the usual we'll sit down with ashley and get the lowdown on the good things coming up this weekend stay tuned so now we're sitting down with the columbians business porter troy brinelson am i saying your last name right troy yeah, I'm not even sure how to pronounce it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you're going to talk with us about uh, Ilane, formerly known as Alani, mm-hmm. alternatively known as just the casino to those too frustrated to try to pronounce its name correctly. Yeah, so, exactly. We just call it the casino here. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. A lot's going on there, right? Yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, Ilane is uh they've been it's built they got the highway all squared away now by the exit had their grand opening on uh well their opening ceremony for the exit just the other day right yeah yeah they brought out the whole uh nice cowlitz ceremony ceremony, yeah and and uh it was pouring rain but some people out there kind of withstood it all and Man, if you wait till the sky's clear in southwest Washington, you will never do anything. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, it's a good thing they're not waiting for that because I think they're really trying to hustle. They, especially after all the weather they've put up with this year, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds like they've been paying a lot of their contractors overtime just to try to get that thing up and ready as soon as possible. So that means wow. building through the snow and all that stuff. So give us a quick recap, if you can, of where are we at right now, uh, what we're what we're still waiting for, what's been announced, things like that. So we are still waiting for I think a few more of the restaurants, and I think the actually the biggest announcement that everybody's waiting for is an opening day Um, every time we write something we hear about when is this opening Uh, so far they've only said in recent months mid-april but that mid-april date has since switched over to late spring so take it for what you will but it sounds like they're getting ready they're getting close they had a pep rally inside their doors just over the weekend i think and it was uh had all the employees out there celebrating and then now just this morning we got an email about uh, a media event on two Saturdays from now that's going to be media folks and I, I think it's sort of a test run for everything so they, they're going to let us go to the restaurants and stuff like that. Speaking of which uh, a number of, they announced what was it, 16 restaurants are going to be in there is that correct? There will be 15, 15. restaurants How many have been announced so far? Uh, I think six officially have been announced um, there's uh, a seafood place a high end bar the big one is Michael Jordan's Steakhouse. Michael Jordan's Steakhouse. That one cracks me up for yeah. some reason. I don't know why. Like, I just... I really hope that all the meals have to do with, like, puns about him and his food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Slam dunk steak. Yeah. 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 Like, the the airman whipped mashed potatoes. <laughs> that's actually, that's a really good one. I mean, he's just in, as entitled to have a, you know, a post-retirement business as anyone else, but I don't know. We're, anyway. all, we're all joking that it, all the... St- Everything there is going to cost $23 because his number was 23 Yeah, everything there looks like it's going to cost a hell of a lot more than $23. So. Right, $23 steak would actually be a bargain right now. So what else is going in there? Oh, is so there a buffet? That's what Clark County is waiting for. I just get, got an email this morning. Where's the buffet? They have not announced a buffet yet. But the consensus among a lot of casinos is that you need buffets, yet there has been no word yet why why do you need buffets at a casino i I think it's just a low-cost option that people you know when they're in the middle of gaming they like to just be able to swing by and grab something grab a plate and then go back to the floor Mm -hmm. so the casino is going to be huge right was it three hundred sixty thousand square feet yeah so the the casino is it's funny looking back on old materials because i was having having to write old articles or look at old articles they would say yeah, they're projecting it to be about 100,000 square feet. The gaming space is 100,000 square feet. The oh whole God. thing is 368,000 square feet. Whoa. If I remember right, a Walmart, like a Supercenter, is just about 100,000 square feet. Yeah. So this place is going to be enormous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's huge, and they don't even have a hotel yet, and they don't even have their convention space yet, which is another 17,000, although I think that's built into the 368 uh, figure. So let's, let's with that in mind, um, look a little bit about what it took to get us here. Let's kind of recap the history of this project, some of the legal challenges, some of the, the frustration over that project, and then um, let's look forward to... After this casino is open, what are the next phases of construction? So so bring us up to speed on the history real quick. So the Cowlitz tribe has been working for, I mean, let's say decades to build this casino. It wasn't until early 2000s that they actually got recognition from the Department of the Interior, I believe, that yeah, basically Bureau said, of Affairs. yeah, that said that you guys are a federally recognized tribe, which then helped them land that 150 150 acre, 156 acre space out there near the center. That meant 
that was kind of roadblocked a little bit by local government agencies, the county, the county, city of Vancouver, and some businesses nearby, and a couple of landowners were trying to block it. Actually, yeah, including we should we should say the Colombian, yeah, yeah, Colombian ownership as Scott well. Scott so. Campbell was was featured as one of the. He was in one of the organizations, uh, Citizens Against Reservation Shopping, mm-hmm. but he is no longer affiliated okay. with that, for what it's worth. Um, so anyway, just. What ended up happening was uh, that went through uh, the circuit courts, and then it went through the U.S. Court of Appeals, and basically, so the circuit court announced that there was it was fine. Um, mm-hmm. The main action against it was that there's this mandate from the 1930s, I believe, that says that you can we can grant these basically lands for casinos to these tribes. Opponents would argue that because the tribe was only federally recognized in the 2000s that they did not fall under that mandate. So they were thus not able to have this land. But the courts said they are eligible for the land. It's kind of up to the jurisdiction of the Secretary of the Interior, which was who had said it was fine. The appeals court upheld that ruling, and then just last week, I believe, Monday, the Supreme Court decided it would not hear the appeal from the decision of the appeals court, which ostensibly killed the legal issue that's got to be a relief for tribe officials i mean i mean not that that's much of a surprise but i just would have to imagine that that's got to be a relief for them to to be able to just set that completely behind them and just move forward with opening yeah no it was uh i had had interviewed the uh chief the cowlitz tribal chairman who just said it was a uh, bill ilial right yeah yeah aisle yeah and that was at the at the interchange and they just mentioned how yeah, it was sort of a long time coming, and they were ready to, you know, move forward with the path cleared. I have to say, um, man, looking back on it, they handled the situation really appropriately, uh, at least to, in a way that best serves their interest. Could you, and I say that because, could you imagine if they would have stopped building while waiting for this to go through the courts? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think I've seen an organization as antsy to get something done as they have been, like, just talking about all the ice and snow that they just said, all right, well, we're going to keep building, so get through it. It was uh, its kind of surprising to me. I'm not a lawyer, but, um, you know, there was an attempt to get an injunction on the construction at some point in the last five years, and that did not go through. Um, so, yeah, they kept building, even if it was still kind of up in the air. Didn't seem like it seemed like they were pretty confident, though. I think another thing that uh, you and uh, Adam Lippman reported on that picked my interest a couple weeks ago was the reporting you did of how this will affect the uh, the card rooms that are in the center. You know, no doubt those guys are not happy to see this massive casino be built just across the highway from them. Mm-hmm. Well, and another thing to keep in mind is that the center. I mean, I don't remember if your story had this figure in it, but but a vast percentage of La Center's budget is made up of casino revenue. Mm-hmm. Like that is the main business and attraction in that city. Well, and casino revenue, which means excluding the casino that's coming in right, right yeah, now. The card room, right? Exactly. Yeah, the card rooms. And you know, I think before you got here, Troy, um, I did some reporting on the people that were against this project were really trying to throw one thing after another up in front of this thing to try to get it derailed. And one of which was um 
this big controversy around the water filtration or the water treatment plant, the card rooms were part of that fight as well, saying that the water treatment system, which is, is going to treat the water and then pump back into the ground, would contaminate the aquifer, screw up groundwater and things like that. When in fact, like the, the tribe is using like the most sophisticated technology possible yeah. that's going to filter out everything. Yeah. One number that we haven't thrown out is this casino is $510 million. That's what they've said. And I, they said that before construction was even completed. So we don't know if it's higher or lower, but that's a lot of that's a lot of coin. That water treatment system was like above and beyond what they were required to do. So can you talk to us a little bit about that story you and Adam worked on that discussed what kind of impacts this might have on those surrounding communities? Yeah, so it's it sort of seems like every city is going to have to... There's three cities that are right in the sort of radius of the casino. There's Woodland to the north, La Center, which is right there. And they're actually... Uh, as we were just mentioning, kind of poised to link into some sewer treatment stuff that might help them grow. But anyway, then there's Ridgefield, which is a little bit to the southwest. And those three cities all sort of are poised, I think, to attract some runoff of people. There's expected to be about 4.5 million, according to the tribe, visitors every year to the casino. And so that breaks down to a couple hundred thousand a month. And you know, a lot of those businesses that we've talked to are hopeful, but it sort of remains to be seen. I mean, the thing you got to understand about these casinos is 15 restaurants, three shops, 368,000 square feet of space. That sort they of a one-stop shop. Yeah. I mean. It's going to be, um, it, I think there's a lot of people out there who can go and spend all day at the casino and be content not really exploring. But Everybody that goes to the casino that goes out to La Center or a Richfield coffee shop is somebody that might not have been there before. The card rooms is another story. I mean, there's two of them have closed in the last three years. One of those just closed uh, within the last month because already they're seeing a lot of declining revenues. There's a real possibility that once the big casino comes into town that those revenues could take even more of a hit. But the the palace in the center is like one of the most popular card rooms in the state and so i think there's a lot to be said about probably having loyal customers that can keep that place afloat but remains to be seen um but i i would bet that a lot of the like service places that are close by are going to be kind of thriving off of i mean we're talking about coffee shops and restaurants that can really feed on the sort of people that come to the casinos that don't want to eat at Michael Jordan's Steakhouse and maybe can't find something at the market. There's also a ton of employees that are going to be relocating. I mean, they hired a lot locally, but there are also a lot of folks that had been moving to the area. So you're talking, I know the officials in Ridgefield said that they're welcoming employees to come move into their town. And yeah. that's more people that are going to come spend money that, you know, are coming from elsewhere. A lot of these are employees that were from uh, the East Coast because... This wasn't mentioned earlier. Sorry to ramble, but the the Mohegan the Mohegan tribe. I mean, so when they they're a partner in developing this casino, so when they announced that they have a new casino, they put out the job openings and say, "Hey, we got a new casino. Go get a promotion somewhere." Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, a, a casino is requires a, a gaming in general requires a certain skill set that you really only get if you're working in that industry already. And, you know, with the exception of a handful that we have around here, I imagine it requires some pretty specialized knowledge that means you're going to have to bring people from out of town to do these jobs well. Yeah, um, that's a great point because there was part part of the problem with the, the card rooms in the center. 
part of the reason why they're closing is because their high-skilled employees are taking other jobs. Mm. And to be able to just pull somebody off the street and say, hey, we need a dealer, that's not as easy as it would be if they, you know, other jobs out there. And a lot of those employees, they told me, oftentimes the only way for them to grow in that business is to latch onto the casino industry because there is a lot more jobs in there that can take them up into those management and executive positions. And then once you're in that industry, the way that you move up is relocate. So what's next? What's uh, what's the next phase for construction up there? You mentioned uh, the hotel potentially down the line here, as well as the, uh, the, the expo center, like an expo conference yeah. center. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's going to be a conference or convention center, convention I should say. Center. It's going to be 17,000 square feet expected to open in the fall. And it is, uh, that's also where they're going to have, you know, Seinfeld and <laughs> Steve Harvey swing by and perform. It's also where they're going to have whatever conventions that would be. We should clarify. Steve Harvey and Seinfeld, those were just examples. Those, those are examples. Are <laughs> those are <Yeah>. not booked. <laughs> those, are, those are my uh, go-to, you know, like Casino Stop, Performers, Carrot Top, whatever you can throw in there. <laughs> I think Seinfeld's at a slightly different caliber than Carrot Top. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, Seinfeld would be legit. But uh, anyway, they, uh, they're hoping to uh, get that built in the fall, and that's going to be combined convention space and entertainment. They'd have concerts there, too. And then there's uh, the hotel, which I can't recall the room count right now, but I know that it's that's even more speaks to that sort of one-stop shop that we're already talking about. Once they've got people that can just stay on site overnight, yeah, that's more money for them, and that's also less of you know people heading out to other places. So, do you know is there any plans for like some kind of like shuttle bus to come up from like Portland or from the airport or like anything like that or? Yeah, the uh, I think there are some things in place between like I know some of the officials at Ridgefield had talked about getting something in place for. Yeah, shuttle back and forth because Ridgefield only has one road that just goes straight from their the heart of from their the city. From the freeway to the heart the of town, yeah. yeah. And so they had mentioned that they could possibly, you know, I don't think that it was anything that they're involved with directly, but it's something that they could see coming. And then I'm sure there's going to be a whole host of taxi drivers and Uber drivers who are going to be floating around that area. Oh, yeah. It's, it's going to be uh, really interesting to watch it all unfold. I keep thinking about it just sort of like a coral reef with all these different mm -hmm. other species that are going to be feasting on it. I wonder if we're going to see, um, this is totally just me like, like spitballing here, but I wonder if we're going to see an increase in like Gamblers Anonymous groups locally <laughs> as a result of this casino. Yeah, that's a good question for our... Uh, for Patty Hastings probably to have her yeah. kind of look into that, the social, social. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But they, yeah, it's, it is, that's a big concern for a lot of folks was, you know, when we were talking about the earlier problems with this place, that, you know, it was, they were talking about a rise in violent crime and a rise in uh, problem gambling and all the sorts of these, you know, shock ideas that would come along with having gaming. Mm -hmm. Right, it comes down to the, that idea of trying to, govern people's morality cool great well thanks Troy yeah thanks a lot so now we're gonna turn to uh, some issues here in Vancouver we're gonna talk about the port the port of Vancouver 
Yeah, when Damien is not moonlighting as a podcast host, he uh, covers the Port of Vancouver um, as part of his day-to-day beat. Yeah, so, it's one of the um, many hats that I wear around yeah. here. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure you guys know that the Port of Vancouver within the last few years has been under the spotlight and indeed probably the microscope for uh, oil terminal that they've been proposing to come to town. And, you know, Katie, I'm sure you're just as aware, there is a very dedicated group of local people who really really watch what the port is up to. Yes, there is. Well, and I think especially with the advent of this of this Tesoro Savage oil terminal, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, this if if it gets built is going to be the largest oil to rail in on the largest in the, in the country, US. right? Yeah. yeah. And so as as you know, it's hugely controversial. The people that want it built really want it built because they see a lot of economic opportunity there and the people that are against it see nothing but risk. And, you know, I Personally speaking, I think like any like anything, there is a lot of truth in the middle. Well, and I think I think the thing is, is that you've got pretty powerful sort of jockeying arms on either side. You've got the unions yep. on one side that want this thing built because it's going to create potentially create jobs. You've mm-hmm. got the environmentalists on the other side that don't want this built because of the potential environmental repercussions. So you have some pretty powerful bodies here that are on opposite sides. Right. So. so now, at the end of the day, and we should preface this with at the end of the day, it's ultimately up to the governor to decide whether or not this thing gets built. So yes, with that, that in true. mind. But where things get interesting locally is like, yes, the ultimate decision to build the terminal is up to the governor. But the uh, lease agreement between Tesoro and the port, either party could walk away from it. Uh, they could give written notice that they want to back out of the lease agreement. And that has put a lot of focus on the Port Commission. Mm. And so far, it's been a very solid two-to-one vote to keep the lease going. Well, Eric LeBrant did vote once to keep the lease going, but with some caveats fair, to that. Fair enough, yeah. But in general, point. you've got two Generally people that speaking, support the extension of that lease, and then you have Eric LeBrant, who is opposed to it. Yeah, so. so maybe we need to, I think we should be a little clearer on what's going on here. There are three Port Commissioners, Jerry Oliver, Brian Wolf, Eric LeBrant. Mm-hmm. Eric LeBrant rode a wave of opposition to the terminal into office and he has maintained that since he has been since he's held a seat and a really significant wave of opposition too Huge. So, yeah. um, and and the port commission elections happen first by district then at large so let's back up a little bit still okay. <laughs> so what's happening here is jerry oliver and brian wolf have always been in the keep it going camp and brian uh everybody has always assumed that brian wolf was the swing vote but he's really not he's a soft yes but um, anyway, he has decided not to run for election again this year. So, and that has created a total vacuum. Um, and already, two candidates have already stepped up to replace him. If you guys haven't heard of them, they are Don Orange and Chris Green. Mm-hmm. So it's very colorful. No, oh, it is. <laughs> very colorful even... <laughs> set of candidates. I didn't draw that connection. <laughs> Don Orange has been a very vocal person in the opposition camp against the terminal, and he is running his campaign on transparency. and Which is something that the port has come under fire, including um, with Aaron Corbin's Yes, story. my predecessor really knocked it out of the park, writing about how the port basically decided to bring this terminal to town without following a lot of the uh, the public steps that they probably should have. A lot of um, executive executive sessions behind the scenes meetings yep. um, and so that was a great that was a great series of stories that that he worked on um, totally and Don he owns an auto shop here in downtown Vancouver but he well, I guess you could call it the uptown village midtown yeah somewhere in there yeah, it's, it's close to uptown he um, 
was one of the founders behind Vancouver 101, which is this coalition of small businesses that are against the terminal. Mm. And a lot of the opponents to the project are so far early rallying behind him and hoping he's going to be the guy to get in. Because, mm-hmm. you know, at that point, this could shift the balance of power and potentially get the lease canceled. He ran also for 17th legislative that, uh, that representative is, last year. So correct. This isn't his first first shot at the... No, it's not. It's not his first time trying to get elected. Although, um, you know, he's only started doing this within the last couple of years. I think right. that one was his first election. Yeah, it was. It in. was, I believe. Uh, the other guy that has popped up is his name is Chris Green, and he's a local insurance agent, um, and he has been for quite some time. And he has, he's got a good resume when it comes to uh, civic engagement and community involvement. I think he's been on just about every board on the east side of Vancouver that somebody could possibly be on. Oh wow! Right now he's on the East Vancouver Business Association board and has been for quite a while. Mm-hmm. He's been a member of Rotary Club. He's really active in his church. I mean, the guy is all over the place. He's the Evergreen School District. Foundation he's always also been a member of Mm -hmm. and he is for the terminal so long as they can do it as safe as possible he emphasizes and he I mean he even did some blogging for Vancouver Energy right yeah here's what I think is interesting he kind of downplays the whole thing because he really thinks the state is going to have it decided beforehand right Uh, he wrote a blog on Vancouver Energy's website basically using the same language that Vancouver Energy uses to describe the economic benefits Mm -hmm. Uh, Vancouver Energy gave some money um, to the Evergreen School District Foundation, mm-hmm. which he is a board member of. At one point, he was even is on... Is he a board member or was he a board member? Uh, he was. Okay. He was. I don't believe he's on there anymore. Okay. okay. And the other thing, he was also on Vancouver Energy's charitable giving board. It's like a local group of people who um, Vancouver Energy selected to help them decide who is a worthy cause and who isn't. He was yeah, because on... Vancouver Energy has flung a lot of money. Yeah. He was on that board until very recently as well. So he knows these guys. Vancouver Energy, when I asked them how they felt about the candidates coming out, they just kind of deferred and really politely declined to comment. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, totally. So he's not holding this project above his head. If he were to get the uh, position, it would certainly be status quo. You know, I think I think one thing to keep in mind is that that as much as the uh, conversation about the oil terminal is extremely relevant and extremely important to what these port commissioners do, mm-hmm. it's not, I, that's kind of an oversimplification of what these guys are being elected to perform and what their duties are meant to be. I mean, something to keep in mind is the, that, you know, if, if the governor issues a decision I mean, we may see that this year, or maybe. I mean, what do you what do you think is this year? You're completely correct because Cause these are four year terms, right? And, no, six year. Six year. So there's a heck of a lot of stuff that these guys are going to do well after they've been elected to the port commission. After after this terminal project goes whichever way it goes. Absolutely. I mean, this. If you didn't know any better, uh, just by talking to local people, you would think that the only thing the Port of Vancouver had going was the fact that they might be building an oil terminal. Right. When that is not the case, they mm-hmm. move a ton of materials, and they are they are building a new industrial facility. I mean, they are like they've got a lot going on. What kinds of things? Uh, what kinds of projects? What other projects has the 
So they lease a lot of land to a variety of industrial facilities. I mean, there's a there's a metal recycler out there. Subaru um, has been one of their longest leaseholders. That's where like the cars literally come off the boat and they're oh, parked wow. in Vancouver. Um, their wind turbines come in there quite a bit. There's not any right now, but they do. They you they know, see those occasionally going down the freeway, which yep, is terrifying. They're huge. trying to get off of the interchange. They they lease land and facilities to uh, you know light industrial companies like they 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 do move a lot of grain. I mean, they're all uh-huh. over the place. And so Chris Green. Yeah, and ports are kind of interesting entities because they're public-private they really partnerships. Are. And mm-hmm. so. And keep in mind, they've got Terminal 1 going, which is going to be a huge development oh, right huge, down on the waterfront. huge, huge, right. So anyway, Chris Green might very well be correct. Currently, as you said earlier, the oil terminal is sitting in front of the Energy Facility Site Evaluation Council, FSEC, who is going to make a recommendation to Governor Jay Inslee. This so far has been uh, one of the longest running, if not the longest running evaluations FSEC has done since they were created in the 70s. And it was FSEC a Washington specific? They are a state specific entity. Okay. And um, so anyway, there, this permit has been this permit application review has been extended several times. The latest one goes until June 31st, and several people that are connected to this project, even some within FSEC, have told me this is probably going to be the last one they need. And mm. then after they release their recommendation, the government. So we will see, we will probably see a, a recommendation end of June, early July, maybe? Possibly. Possibly. Okay. I mean, they could always extend it again, yeah. but we could see it almost any time. Okay. Um, but so let's say hypothetically they do get it done before June 30th. Mm-hmm. Um, Inslee then has 60 days to give some kind of recommendation. Either this project should be denied, it should be approved as is, or it could be improved approved with a lot of modifications. Yeah. Okay. So that is in a perfect world. Um, that's let's see, June, July, August. We could know by August, which is. Potentially before the primary. Yes. And the keep in mind, like the regular election is in like November. Right. But where things could change here is if it doesn't go in Vancouver Energy's favor, they have the right to appeal the decision. So this could get drug on for a long time. In fact, yeah. a few. The other thing that makes this interesting is because this is on a federally regulated waterway, the, the Columbia River. I've heard some very wonky people tell me that there is the potential that if this were to draw out in every single way possible, it could become a federal issue and it could go all the way up to the Supreme Court. Wow. But maybe that is that's a like big maybe <laughs> that's, a, that's a very big maybe. Um, Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, this could get drug on for years. Wow. Yeah. But yet and still, though, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, Chris Green might be right. I think personally speaking, I think might be right in terms of that a decision may come out. It might come out before the election in the summer. Okay. Yeah. Well, before the well before the uh, election. But what I think Chris might be missing and um, I might even be wrong about this. This is I think this terminal is such a big deal and there is so much uh, the community has projected so much about the port onto this issue Mm -hmm. that I think even after Inslee makes a decision, people are going to be voting with this terminal in mind. Right. Because, I mean, this project isn't 
potentially going to go away. I mean, there could be some new iteration of it down the line. There could, it could be, be some built. New it could be built. Yeah, like this. Just because Inslee says no doesn't mean that it's the last of the possibility for an, for an oil terminal in well, Vancouver. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Because like I said, it could be appealed. They have recourse to try to get this thing built if they really want it to be. The other thing, too, is like when you talk to people about the port, everybody is aware of the terminal. Right. But they're not. And they're probably aware of Terminal 1 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but Terminal 1, remind us what Terminal 1 Terminal is. Terminal 1 is that facility, or the the old Red Lion Hotel where Warehouse 23 is, mm-hmm. and that they're remodeling right. and make it all you know, flashing great. Yeah. Beyond those two things, I don't know how much the average person in town knows of what the port has going on. I could be wrong, but I don't think that's the case. Anyway, it's going to be a District 1 race. And, you know, there's still plenty of time for other people to enter it. So, so far, this is just two of what could be several people in the field. What week is filing week? Uh, I just looked this up the other day. I think it is in May. It is in May. I don't know when in May. Yeah. Anyway, filing week is coming up pretty soon. And since this is a top two primary, there are a number of people I've spoken with that hope that nobody else enters the field. Uh, filing week is May fifteenth, so 15th. we've got a couple. We've got a couple of weeks here that people could still crop up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and remind us, this is a vote by district yep. in the primary. Yep. Vote at large in the general. So anyway, that's uh, some of the news that's happening on uh, the political side of the port right now. You know, in the meantime, we await to see what the state has to say. And what I think will be interesting is how the conversation, especially on the anti-terminal side, might shift in reaction to what Inslee recommends or doesn't recommend. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Great. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Thanks, Damien. Mm-hmm. All right. It's time to sit down with Ashley Hello. for the weekend. Yes, it is that time. So what's uh, what's going on, Ashley? Oh, my goodness. Uh can you say Easter egg hunts? Because oh, there are so many Easter egg hunts. Yes, uh, I think there are over 20 in, oh my God. in the area. Um, and I, that was ignoring most of the, the ones like in Portland and stuff. Um, but yeah, there's you on Saturday, you can, if you wish, go to an Easter egg hunt every hour. Okay, Saturday do you have morning. to do you have to be a child? Like <laughs> could we do this? Unfortunately, yes. This is this is definitely for the 12 and under set. They it's their their weekend to to find and hunt and get all the eggs. I still can't get over the absurdity of the Easter eggs that are being dispersed by a helicopter. <laughs> yes. That's the most American thing I've ever heard. Who? What other nation would think it is a cool thing to do to like drop Easter eggs out of a helicopter? It's true. And I still have so many questions. Is it a big helicopter? Is it like a remote helicopter? <laughs> it's like, a drone. I, it definitely could be. It could just. That's a very different story. Right. Like if you've got something that's going to drop 10 eggs out of a little drone, that's one thing. I would but, still want to see that because yeah. that seems really difficult to do, but at the same time, different visual impact as yeah. well. I mean, I don't think it's like a Comanche helicopter just coming in with the you know the sound of right of the Valkyries dropping off eggs. But oh god, I wish it was. But yeah, I I kind of grabbed some of the more interesting ones, or at least some of the the bigger ones because they're happening in in well known places or they've been happening for years. Um, so Activate Church is holding one in Esther Short Park on Saturday at 10 a.m. So stop by the market, watch your kids have fun getting all the eggs, and and the weather should hopefully be good. Knock on wood. Cool. Um, again, there's the helicopter uh, Easter egg hunt 
which is um, hosted by City Harvest Church. Um, that'll be, take place on the grounds of Jason Lee Middle School um, from 9 to 1 on Saturday. Um, and then there's going to be like about 10,000 eggs in Overlook Park up in Ridgefield. Um, that's being hosted by IQ Credit Union. Um, that's at 10 a.m. to noon on Saturday. And then I, I kind of always like the Listener Lions. They put together together their annual Easter egg hunt, but they also offer you breakfast beforehand. Oh, cool. So you can carb a load. Right. So you can get your pancakes, your bacon, and all that good stuff. Um, it's like a $5 breakfast donation fee, um, which goes to the Lions to help them do more events. And then it um, takes place in Holiday, Holly Community Park in the center, and Curly the Camel might show up. And all that takes place around 10 a.m. The um, pancakes start at 8 a.m. on Saturday. Cool. And then the big the big one is the one that actually takes place on Easter Sunday in Crown Park in Camas. Um, they've been doing that for years. Um, the park service has, or the uh, Parks and Recreation Department of Camas has. And that one takes place at 1.30 sharp. Like, they're very particular about you being there. Right <laughs> at 1.30, you're going to miss all the eggs otherwise. Um, and what's cool is they also do a hat and bonnet contest afterwards. So you can make some, like, really crazy sculptural things that you've put on your head and try to So get, like, win. kind of pregame uh, the Kentucky Derby. That yeah, kind of idea. definitely. So we're getting up in that season, too, aren't It's we? true, yeah. So. Um, cool. But if you're not into Easter egg hunts or you're not, 12 and younger um there is the uh, woodland tulip festival happening this weekend and next so you can definitely make your own easter like bouquets and just kind of romp through the flowers oh are there big tulip fields in woodland uh yeah there's the um holland america spoken like a true non-local yes yep um yeah so there's a big tulip farm a bulb farm actually up in woodland and they basically make and harvest and sell tulip bulbs and flowers all year round and then uh during tulip season the public can go and kind of enjoy all the the riots of color that happen in the fields and riots of color i like that yeah <laughs> perfect indie band album <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's really good like if you're um into photography as well because you have like um, hundreds of varieties of different tulips so it's not just you know the standard ones you see in um, the grocery store you'll have ones that are crazy shaped or that have like multiple tie-dyed colors or cool. that are super dark purple like full of darkness um, <laughs> and so you can really like <laughs> you're a lyrical you're a poet today <laughs> tulips full of darkness riots of color <laughs> So is there is there a cost associated with that, or can you just kind of go up and explore? No, it's definitely for free. They cool. they welcome visitors. Um, there's um, some you pick um, kind of tables of flowers, and I think it's like fifty cents a tulip. So it's definitely a nice. great way to get fresh, fresh spring things in your house. Nice. Uh, let's see. Um, I guess this weekend is really just for kids because I was going to say the other couple of events I have um, are taking place at at Pearson Air Museum in Fort Vancouver, and uh, it starts in the morning and afternoon with junior ranger day oh what's that um basically kids can get an activity book and learn how to become park rangers and learn about the forts um and the air museum history and things and they get little badges and participate in little activities from 10 to 3 on saturday and then in the evening it's also going to be um yuri yuri's night space party at pearson air museum <laughs> so does that take a is that the you know flying further 
kind of idea. It is. And it's also to celebrate um, the first man in space. Cool. Um, so he was a Russian cosmonaut named Yuri. And he went up to space um, more than six years ago, I believe. And so it's just kind of a space-themed activity night from 5 to 9 on Saturday, um, including, like, if the weather cooperates, uh, launching water rockets and um, getting lectures on, on the future of space travel and hopefully a, a stargazing tour. Cool. So that'll be fun. And then I did I did pick one event for adults. Good. It's uh, OMSI After Dark this, this Saturday. They're doing tapas and tequila. Yes. I love that. So get your tickets early because they usually sell out when they're the special Saturday after darks. Um, but yeah, it's basically go eat a bunch of delicious food, try a bunch of spirits, and explore some science exhibits. So is the is there science associated with the tequila or is it just that you go in get drunk and like <laughs> play with a bunch of rocks and like all the cool stuff that they i mean that's Omsi. always part of omzi after dark yeah um yeah. <laughs> but yeah they're supposed to do some kind of like science about like toxicity and things like that cool yeah and that's a uh, saturday from 6 to 10 and costs about 32.50 to 35 dollars and includes tasting tokens and all that good stuff great uh, another thing, it might be a little early, but it's never too, too early for plant sales, I guess. I think we're all kind of craving that spring garden stuff. Yeah. Um, the, uh, Hardy Plant Society of Oregon is hosting their annual Hortlandia plant sale. <laughs> Hortlandia. Yes. I get it. That's a good pun. It okay. is a good pun. Um, and that's 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., um, both Saturday and Sunday, and it's free admission. Just, Where is that? Uh, the Portland Expo Center. Cool. You just got so that's a big plant sale then. Oh, yeah. And then all you have to do is pay for parking, so carpool if you can with someone with a truck so yeah, you can load up on Max plants. Or something. Yeah. Well, I don't want to be on the Mac, so the box full starts, actually. Bad idea. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Find a friend with a truck or a van and, and carpool. And carpool. Cool. Get, Good ideas. Mm -hmm. So there's more Easter egg hunts. Where can people find out about the uh, additional Easter egg oh, hunts? Oh, yes. Uh, so weekend section, the main story this week is all devoted to Easter egg hunts. There's a really cute illustration for the cover that cool. um, our, our artist has done, and it lists them all. It's broken up by where they're at and the time they're at. So, so, can, if, so if these weren't your jam, then... Right. You can find your neighborhood Easter egg hunt in, in the weekend section on Friday. So Good deal. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Ashley. Anytime. All right. That is our show. Yeah, that's a wrap. Um, you can find this podcast anywhere you usually find podcasts. If you've been listening to us for a while now, I probably don't need to tell you where to go download it. But, but if you're a first-time listener, which might be some of you, yeah. but SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and then we post uh, this podcast on the Colombians website every Wednesday. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you guys want to get in touch with us and tell us how we're doing, obviously you can reach out to either Katie or myself or uh, email us at podcast.com. All right, see you next week. Bye.